Welcome to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast, the podcast that wants to help you reach your best and most divine potential. Each week, we dive into topics concerning inner healing, wellness, and spirituality. We discuss strategies and practice from our own personal experiences regarding higher energies, trauma, and connecting to the divine as we take you through our own personal journeys to discover the highest versions of ourselves. In combination with guest speakers, we bring you a comprehensive guide to mental and spiritual wellness and the ability to connect to yourself and the world around you on a deeper level. I'm Nicole. And I'm Christina. And we are two sisters who want to take you along on our spiritual and healing journey. We are each on our own individual healing and spiritual path and bring unique perspectives regarding yoga, chakra healing, meditation, intuition, and trauma healing. Sometimes life is messy, sometimes it's confusing, and sometimes everything falls perfectly into place. Join us as we navigate the path to divine enlightenment together. Hello, sisters, brothers, and non-binary listeners to the Sisterhood of Healing podcast. On today's episode, we have our guest, Dave Phillips, aka Chops, (laughs) as well we'll call him. And uh, this episode is recorded for Bell Let's Talk Day. So for those um, of our listeners who are not from Canada or not familiar with Bell Let's Talk Day, um, Bell is one of Canada's major communications providers. So every year on January 24th, yeah, they, um, week of January. they promote a mental health day. It's to promote conversations surrounding mental health. Um, so this conversation that we have with Chops today is going to largely be about mental health and PTSD and men's mental health specifically. So welcome, Chops. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored. Of course. I love, I love the fact that we not only get to talk to you and like hear your experiences, um, which um, I'm sure that you have um, experienced some just like unimaginable things um but also that like you're going to talk a little bit about men's mental health too because that's one thing that um you know I think doesn't get talked about as much and is like not really supported as much and I think it's getting a lot better now but I don't know men's men's emotions men's mental health hasn't really been something that society really like talks about really like advocates for so I'm really really stoked that you're here with us to talk about it and help us to promote it and and you know maybe be that like beacon of light for um you know other males out there who who really need that I appreciate it yeah for sure let's talk away talking talking is healing as I say so I love to talk <laughs> you I actually, sorry, before we start, I, I heard um this stat a couple of years back that said you need to tell your story. So you need to have the same person bear witness to your story three times in order to help with your healing. Not, I've not heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I don't know where I heard that from. Like I've been going through something and, and I was, I don't know where I read it, but yeah, you have to have the same person bear witness to your, your pain, your story three times in order to like help with your healing. It really helps. Wow. Like, like for them to, be able to like understand like what you're going 
No, for to help you. So, like, if I was going through something, I could tell you the same story three times. So it's like cathartic. Yeah, it's like cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. So, right. here we go. Cool tidbit information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. See, we're we're all learning <laughs> something here today. I love that. Um. So we'll start with an easy one. Just like tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Et cetera, et cetera. And then we'll like get into a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, so as you guys mentioned, my name's Dave Phillips. Everybody knows me as Chops. Um, I got that nickname Chops when I first started flying helicopters back in 1996. Um, I'm a retired EMS helicopter pilot. So I flew for majority of my helicopter career. I flew for Orange, which is the air ambulance provider for the, um, province of Ontario. Um, now I I retired after I started to deal with um you know the PTSD really started in like early 2015 I started to notice that a lot of the traumatic events and calls that I you know witnessed on the ambulance were really starting to affect me um and affect my personal life you know in a in such a manner that I actually decided to uh to take some time off and and got some help um i went back to flying and then decided in 2017 it was just almost like it was too much and the trauma was just it was overbearing so i decided myself just to uh to retire from flying i still um am employed by orange i'm currently off on disability right now on a mental health disability um claim all my ptsd symptoms have unfortunately unfortunately come back tenfold so with the role that I have, I, the role I have right now, my current role is I do standards and compliance. So I basically inspect all the helipads for the, for the, um, air ambulance program. It's a very, um, very lonely job. It's, uh, you know, it's just you in a truck and, you know, for me, unfortunately it was me in a truck and all my thoughts and, uh, you know, my coping mechanisms for my PTSD really weren't, um, really weren't working out. So, um a lot of remote areas there's not even a lot of like lifelines like even to pick up a phone and call a friend and there would be like gaps of like hours and hours and I would know I'd be going to these gaps and it would kind of work against my mind and play with my mind and I just started to develop like symptoms like like a major claustrophobia and you know my anxiety and really bad anger issues unfortunately are one of the one of the symptoms that I had so I um yeah, I just decided that I needed to, you know, to, to get help again. So that's, that's what I've done. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, as you mentioned, I do, um, I kind of try to champion for uh, PTSD awareness, um, you know, my moreover, you know, men's mental health, because as you mentioned, I don't think that there is a lot, although it is getting better. I just think that men in general don't like to, um, to say that we're we're sick in in any regard, whether it's mental health or or otherwise, right? There's a whole month in November um, for prostate cancer, right? Um, I mean, that's been brought to the forefront because it's just you know I think it's one of these things that men have if we don't um, if we don't worry about it, it'll kind of it'll go away type of idea. Um, so yeah, I just you know if I could help one person, you know. Um, talk to somebody, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that talking is healing. I really, truly believe that it's, you know, as maybe as corny as that sounds, it, um, it is the first thing 
that allowed me to get the trauma off my chest. And it was, it was, um, it was honestly, it was life changing. I, I made that first phone call um, to a 1-800 number and um, the counselor on the other end, the trauma counselor on the other end, just listened to me for almost three hours. And I just took, you know, 17 or 15 years of traumatic events and just dumped them on her. And it was just like, it was just lifted off my body. Unfortunately that, you know, that's not, that's not all you need. Yeah, obviously that you need to continue on with treatment. Sometimes, you know, treatment and medication go hand in hand. I'm not a big advocate of medication, although I'm currently on medication. Um, I would like to get to where I can get off medication. But um, like I said, I like to champion now for men's mental health, um, try to uh, raise awareness for PTSD. And in doing that, I like to raise some money for local charities. Um, I've done three events earlier last year and raised around $5,000 for, for different local charities. So it was just something for me, to be honest, I, I say it's selfish. My therapist doesn't like when I say that sort of thing. But for me, talking about it and doing these sort of things really does help with um, my healing process and my mental health journey. So um, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking at any opportunity that I'm given. So again, I thank both of you for having me on because if we can reach one person out there or one person that knows somebody that's having a difficulty, especially if it's, you know, a first responder, um, just to maybe give them that little push to go talk to somebody, um, that to me is like, that's satisfying enough for me, so well I think you're I think you're really brave for sharing your story because like you said like it's it's tough like the things you experience are tough and then you know the aftermath and developing PTSD and like not knowing what's going on at first like what are these symptoms like why am I acting this way and and like yeah so thank you so much because just like just acknowledging it and and like being brave enough to speak about it and like help other people, I think is huge. So I appreciate that. I, I, I think that, that, you know, I've, I've been told that before it's like, you know, there's a bravery. I think it sometimes that bravery thing doesn't sit so well with me because it really, for me became like, it was a necessity. Like it was just to the point where I, I you know, I wouldn't be honestly, I wouldn't be sitting here talking today if I didn't get help. That's the reality of it. And that's un the unfortunate part about mental health is that we let it just consume us. It becomes it becomes your life. And certainly for, you know, for first responders, we we tend to um, have our job as a, as, as a big part of who we are. And it's a big part of our identity. So not to have that is difficult. So it is very difficult for, for someone then to put up their hand and say, you know, I don't know if I can do this because in the back of your mind, and I certainly was like that, um, you know, what else am I going to do with my life? Right? Like, you know, and the later I, you know, the older you get, and the, you know, the closer you get to retirement and all these sort of things, it's almost like, you know, stick it out for another five years, stick it out for another two years. But um, that is a long time when you're talking about dealing with mental health and continuing to do a job that is going to be constantly consuming your mental capacity. So, um, you know, being able to stop and um, not let your your job be your identity and, you know, to be able to take the cape off 
And whatever the amount of time is, whether you've only been on the job for a year or two years or 25 years or whatever it is to say that, you know, I can't be the best person I am. I'm not as good um, at my job because I'm not at the full capacity and mental capability that I should be in order to really perform my job. And I'm maybe doing a disservice to the, the people that I'm supposed to be helping and serving. Because like I said, anger is one of the things that certainly, and I'm not talking about just getting mad because, you know, you, you hit your knee on a drawer and you're upset or whatever. I'm talking like rage, anger, like a very uncontrollable rage. And it comes out of nowhere. So, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, certain situations that, and, you know, dealing with the public and the society that we live in with, you know, we're recording this on a, on a phone today, um, your career could be ended in a way that you don't want it to be ended if I'm making myself clear. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it is really important that you um, see that in yourself and honestly just put your hand up and um, say you're not okay. And it's okay to get help. It really is. I mean, if we're going to send out any message, it is that it is okay to get help. And you don't necessarily have to jump in and go to a therapist or whatever. You just need to find a, someone who is willing to listen and not give advice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a really good sounding board that, um, you know, is not going to be judgmental or whatever. I mean, I recommend very, very highly that everybody has a therapist. Certainly that is in, um, you know, and that is a first responder that you should have a somebody that you're going to that so you can have a check and balance. So you have a baseline, you know, where you're, where you're sitting at, where you're comfortable with. And to be honest with you, you know, if things start to go where they've kind of gone for me, you've got a history of it um, so that you can take care of yourself. So um, I think it is, I, you know, I think it is extremely important to, you know, not to feel ashamed. I mean, I don't know how we get rid of the stigma of being ashamed um, because I'll be honest with you. I've, you know, I have nobody um, from my work that has ever reached out to me to ask me if I'm okay. I'm considered to be the black sheep of my organization. So wow. um, that was going to be one of my questions is like being a first, a first responder or former first responder, like, did you have those conversations in the workplace with your colleagues about sharing like the same sentiments so we, we or, definitely, we, we definitely have, I would say like, I would say like on work therapy and because in the, I'm just going to talk specifically about the area months. We, we fly in crews of four. So we would go on, we would go on calls and we would, we would talk about the calls and that would be a, that would be a form of therapy because you're discussing it. You're going back and forth. Everybody would kind of check in with everybody say, Hey, you know, that was pretty messed up. Is, are you okay? Whatever. Um, for the longest time, when I first started on the air ambulance, I mean, we would do, we, there, there would be no check-in, check-out at all, like organization-wise. So a lot of um, first responding, like police, fire, if they do a traumatic call, they can basically shut that service down. They can say, you know, you, you're done for the day, kind of take a knee. That was a really tough call. Because we're such a limited resource and asset for the province, there, that's not a possibility to say, you know, the Toronto helicopters down for the afternoon. So we would sometimes do three, two to three tra very traumatic calls in a day, like back to back. And the only resources we really had were one another to talk about it. 
So I think going back to what I was originally saying is because I've kind of put my hand up and said, I can't do it anymore. There's obviously, you know, amazing men and women on the arguments that are continuing to do it. And it's like, well, we see the same things you do, but yet we're still doing the job. So, you know, what is wrong with you? Mm. Right. That, that's kind of the attitude where other services like police and fire, they've all reached out and said, Hey, you know, good for you. I wish I could have done that. Cool. Um, and I'm not just I'm, I, like, I'm, I have very, very, very close friends that I had on the ambulance and not one of them um, has ever said anything like, and I'm not, I'm not asking anybody for, for certainly for a pity party or anything like that, but it's just, I'm just trying to give you a little bit of perspective why people don't come out and talk about it. It's because, um, you know, one of the things you learn when you, when you put up your hand, you say, you know, you're dealing with mental health is that you better get out your, your saw and start chopping friends off the old friend, friend tree pretty quick, because, <laughs> um, I can tell you, I, you know, I have maybe five people that have stuck around and really have been there for me. Um, everybody else is just, you know, and, and again, it's, you know, it's a two way street. I mean, dealing with me is I, I can imagine it's not easy at sometimes. Um, but when people are say, you know, I've been there, I get it. Those are the first people to leave because they don't, you know, it's, I would never in my, in, in my life say that I know, what someone's mental health journey is like everybody's mental health journey is totally different. Although, you know, certainly, you know, been drawn and have made um, connections through mental health and mental health trauma. Um, I would never sit down with someone and even in, uh, you know, like a first responder and say, Hey, I know what you're going through. It's going to be okay. Because I don't know, like, I honestly don't, I don't know you know, what your life looks like. I only know, you know, what I can, you know, what you're giving me. So I think that's something else. It's, a, you know, it's a takeaway for sure to, to just be a listener, you know, just to, just to listen to people and not um, necessarily, people aren't really looking for advice. People aren't, you know, just to say it's going to be okay. You know, that's, that's not sometimes what people want to hear, you know, honestly, it's not. Yeah. Wow. I, I wonder, like, that's so interesting that the people that would be able to relate to you most are the ones that have kind of like pulled away and not even acknowledged it. And like, I think what a lot of people forget is that we all in whatever line of work you're in, whatever profession, like we all come from literally different places. Like our home dynamics are different. Our childhood experiences are different. Like, so we're, we've already got our own like experiences, traumas, energies, like built into who we are. So you could have, four of you could have that, those same experiences, but like, you've already got like certain makeup inside of you that is going to have like cause different reactions or like, you know, you're going to cope in different ways or like some people just go numb to it. Like there's, there's, and I think people forget that we all absorb and we all handle things in different ways. And we all have like different tools and different mechanisms to handle things. And I think like one of your tools was saying, hey, like this stuff is not okay. I need help. Like I'm not feeling okay because yeah. of and I need help. And I think that's a tool you have. And I think, um, you know, some people may not have that in their, in their toolkits and, or maybe like 
some people just refuse to acknowledge that they need help too and it's it's, mm. it's just like it's really sad but I think we forget that like we're all human and I'm sorry that you experienced that with like the people that were closest to you because like I know I mean my my line of work is very different from yours but you know we all sit and talk about our day at the end of the day because we all just need to boom just like release and I know how important that is and I, I can't imagine people just being like too bad so sad but there have been people that have left my profession and everyone's like so shocked they're like how could, how could they do that how could he have done that how could she have done that like you know it's such it's such a good job and like yeah keep telling yourself that there's like three days and they're not crazy like I applaud them because I'm sure that took a lot of courage and like they did what was right for them so yeah you yeah. have to deal with that you don't you have, have to deal away from it and unfortunately with mental health you're not just stepping away from it because it's something that you carry along with you but yeah. when it comes down to it like when it comes down to your well-being being you need to do what's good for you yeah um uh, what was the moment oh sorry go ahead no go ahead sorry no, ask like what was the moment where you were like like what was the, what the straw that broke the camel's back where you're like nope like this is enough for me. I need help. Like this, this is not okay where I am right now. I was, was uh, there a moment? Oh yeah. There was a, like, it was a, a definitive, there was a, like a long, like, you know, series. I get asked this question quite a bit and it was a long like series of events that had happened that kind of led up to, you know, enough is enough. And um, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there was a, you know, a numerous traumatic calls. Um, we also, we had an, a fatality um, with one of our hel helicopters up at our Moose and eBay. So seven nine three, uh, the whole crew was going out on a on a early evening call, I do believe, and they they made a left hand turn and proceeded to think that they were in a in a climb when they were actually in a descent, and that helicopter hit the ground in like full cruise speed, and obviously the impact killed all four members on board and I remember getting the phone call in the morning from the chief pilot and I was at our flight training center in in uh, New Jersey and he called early in the morning and he had said you know I just wanted to let you know you know before it gets out in the news that um you know 93 went down and and uh you know it doesn't look like there's any survivors so if you guys need to take the day to process it you know do what you have to do and so we got up, the crews got up and we, we immediately went downstairs, we all breakfast and we went to the training center and we didn't do any training that day. We actually just sat around our instructors. We basically just exchanged stories. So the instructors that are, that are at flight safety, a lot of them have a military background. And so we basically, you know, exchanged stories and crazy stories and all that. And that was kind of our way of, of coping with it. But what was all said and done for me, it was a realization that you know, there is a risk associated with the, this job, although the air ambulance does a phenomenal job of mitigating that risk. Um, it's that is the moment when the anger started to build in me that I was upset that we were going, you know, they were sending us out on calls that I personally didn't feel, you know, were necessary for us to go on that could have been held back. Um, and it just started to create, you know, for lack of a better term, like a cancer that was starting to build up in me. And I was starting to go home at night and, and have recurring nightmares and anxiety and um, the claustrophobia came out of nowhere. So 
I would wait to the very last minute to close the helicopter doors to go on a on a call and I was absolutely like petrified to go flying which for me it was crazy because when I got the, I I didn't want to do anything else other than get on the air ambulance and fly like that was that was what I wanted to do I absolutely loved my job I loved the people I worked with they were like my they were like my family you know the 4 days or 6 days that we were with them we ate together, we laughed together, you know, night shifts, sometimes we slept, you know, we hung out. Um, it was just a great environment, you know, it created, like I said earlier, some phenomenal friendships um, with these people. And it just came to a point where, um, you know, I tried to cope with it in the ways that I thought I could. I was like blowing through all my sick days that I had. So I didn't have to go in and, and, and face the fear and the demons, I call them now. And I walked into the hangar. I looked at the helicopter. I broke down. I uncontrollably started to sob, turned around, called the chief pilot and said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, what do you mean you can't do this anymore? I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I need help. I cannot, I cannot deal with this anymore. So that's when I called the 1-800 number and, and started the process. And it's kind of where we are today, really. Wow. And you said that was in 2017? That was in 20, yeah, 2017, late 2016, 2017. I was just, yeah, and it was just enough is enough. And uh, I went off and then I went back on. I tried to, you know, I was on medication and I tried to go back and, and fly some more. But I, I just realized that it was just, it was there in the back of my head. I was kind of like floating through, you know, my job, very numb and just really, I knew it was over. I just, again, I was going through you know, what am I going to do? What, you know, if I'm not going to fly, what am I going to do? Cause it's my added identity. Like I don't know anything else. I don't know what else I can do. You know, I thought and thought and thought like, you know, uh, about other career choices possibly, but again, you know, this, this is what I do, you know, air Amos has been my life. Um, and I want to stick with it. So I was fortunate enough that, you know, they were very, um, you know, receptive to, to me going to a, you know, to a desk job, um, at head office. And, uh, I mean, it, it worked out for the first couple of years. It really kind of calmed me for a while. And then I, I, you know, got into the role that I'm in now. And unfortunately with, you know, COVID and everything else that happened, it just kind of, you know, just started this, this ball rolling that I just couldn't get, uh, couldn't get control of, unfortunately. So and what did your journey look like for you? Like when you, when you decided to, we got a puppy here. When you decided, <laughs> <laughs> she jumped up on the bed. Um, you know, back when you decided like, I can't do this anymore. And then you made that phone call and then you took some time off and then went back and then like switched um, like your position uh, at work. Like what did your, what did your like healing journey what did that process look like for you from like start to like where you are now like did you start therapy right away um did you like try and go back a second like what happened with like all that like yeah I um I had called I started to do therapy they um basically appointed me somebody to to talk to so I went to a therapist for a short period of time and then I went I talked to my my family doctor and he prescribed some medicine like doctors do they you know medicine fixes everything so 
get on pills and it was just basically you know back and forth with with him and you know we started at a low dose and went to the maximum dose and um some of the you know the ptsd symptoms obviously were controlled by the medicine but what the medicine does is it puts you in a state of like numbness it did for me it was just like you're kind of like floating um around and it wasn't a good feeling to be honest um so uh, although i was starting to you know heal from some things i wasn't really i wasn't really dealing with the issues at hand it was kind of a band-aid solution at first and it wasn't till i actually went back to work and then finally was like this is it i can't do this anymore that i really started to get help and started to look into ways to honestly help myself so that's when i started to kind of tie in the physical aspect of like mental health so i have a you know a pretty strict regime that i do now where you know i try to do some sort of physical activity where whether it's go to my gym go for a walk take the dog for a walk go for runs in the summer times hikes that sort of thing try to stay active because that you know um, doesn't allow the mind to you know to create these sort of you know these demons so I, I find that very very um very very helpful um therapy obviously you know i'm in i'm in therapy still to this day um and i've actually um, steered my focus to more um, PTSD directed therapy. Um, in particular, I'm going to be starting something that's called EMDR therapy um, in the in the weeks coming. So um, I'm looking forward to that because I hear that that is a wonderful people that have done that therapy. They they nickname it wizardry because they say it's just for the simplicity of what it is. It it works wonders. So that's I'm pretty, pretty yeah yeah. So I've it, heard it. Yeah. Heard of it, but explain what it is. Yeah. Uh, I d don't know a ton about it, to be honest with you. I just, uh, what I do know about it is it's, it's basically, it's been around for quite a while. And what it is, is you have to have a therapist, a, a psychotherapist actually, that is actually trained in um, uh, EMDR. And it's a, it's a sensory sort of, um, sort of skill set that they put you through. And what they do is they take the most, they take a series of traumatic events or calls in my case, and you label them one from 10. So number one being the most traumatic and 10 being the least. And you start at the bottom and you work your way through doing these, this, 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 um, the series of like touching sort of tapping. Sometimes it's, it's sound that goes back and forth and you you describe the trauma until it gets to a point where they kind of stop you and ask you to kind of be in the moment. The whole idea is to kind of to be in the moment and kind of relive that trauma. So as you mentioned earlier about, you know, you need to talk three times about it. It's it's kind of based on the same thing where, you know, again, it comes to talking about it. It comes to recognizing the trauma and dealing with the trauma and not burying the trauma. So um, that's from what I understand is really what it's about. And I'm excited about it because I said earlier that talking to me, talking is healing. So when you talk about these causes, painful as they are and as emotional as they are, um, there is a definitely a release to that. You can feel it, you know, it's almost like you can, 
you know, for me, it's just like, it's like these pieces that are kind of like breaking off you and slowly, but surely you're going to find yourself back in there, but you have to chip away at it, you know? And unfortunately for mental health, most mental health, it's like that Shawshank redemption, little chisel that he has in the prison when he's trying to get himself free. It's bit by bit, right? It doesn't really happen overnight. Um, and, you know, for me, it's been, you know, it's been, you know, several years and I'm, you know, I'm still here and it's kind of been ups and downs. I feel good. Don't feel good. You know, for a period of two years, you know, things were pretty good. I didn't really, you know, worry about it. And then it just takes something to trigger it because you haven't dealt with it. It's still underlying. It's still there. And you need to get, you need to, you know, acknowledge that and remove that and make, make that no longer part of you if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. So, yeah. um, so yeah. And then I really, um, I got introduced to, um, ice baths and breathing techniques. Um, yeah, I've been doing this lately. Yeah. So I, ice baths, obviously it's, I mean, it's a pretty, you know, plunging, it's a pretty, pretty popular, pretty popular thing. I was introduced to, um, uh, a, I call her an angel, really. Um, she owns a company um, called For the Love of Ice. Her name's Jillian. She was introduced to me um, through a friend of mine. Um, and unfortunately, I don't speak with that friend anymore. But um, um, And she took me through, took us actually through a series of breathing techniques. And then we did a hot session and then a plunge. And I honestly, when I went there, I was really, I was really excited about the the plunging part. And I thought that the the breathing part was going to be very like, like hokey for lack of a better term. I was just like, all right, let's move on through the breathing, get in the tub and let's start healing here. And I got way more out of the breathing to the point where, you know, she's kind of, again, it's kind of the same sort of idea where they, they set the tone kind of low and it's done through rhythmic music and breathing and you really you know she she kind of explains the whole thing that these are some of the things that you can feel as you're going through your breathing journey and I'm just kind of rolling my eyes going like whatever you know and <laughs> I got to probably about the middle of it and I just absolutely again had a total like emotional breakdown and you know sobbing and weeping and and then she kind of brings everybody down and she put her hand on my chest and she just said like, you know, like, it's okay. It's okay. Like, come back, come back. And I came back, you know, and was just like, you know, I felt totally, you know, embarrassed because there was two of my, you know, good friends in there. And, you know, this at the time she was a stranger and I just, you know, was sobbing like a baby. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not crying. You're crying. And, uh, <laughs> And then she just kind of took me aside and she said, what was it? And I said, um, you know, I saw my dad, my dad came to me and my dad said mm -hmm. to me, you know, my dad had passed away and I, you know, I didn't deal with my dad's death, you know, in the, in the best way. My dad was my rock star. He was my Superman. I wanted to be nothing more than my dad. That's all I wanted to be. If I could be as good as my dad, if I could make my dad proud, that's all I ever wanted in my life. And my dad passed away and I, I lost a huge part of my life um, when he passed away. And I, I didn't really deal with his death. I probably still haven't dealt with my dad's death properly. Um, 
but I said that my dad had come to me and he just said, it's okay. And I'm not a spiritual religious type person, but I could see him like it was like, you know, Christmas time. Like he was there and he had just said, it's okay. Like, like let it out. It's okay. And I just let it out. And I honestly, we left her studio and I felt like I could wrestle tigers. Like I just was <laughs> like, this is the greatest thing in the entire world. You just feel so good. And, um, that is something that I 100% recommend. It is such a great reset um, and gives you, you know, a foundation and a baseline as to where you should be as far as like a mental, um, you know, capacity stabilization. Like that is your, you know, that's your zone because I felt amazing. Unfortunately, it's like everything else. Not all the trauma came off that day. So it's something that, you know, needs to be done on a regular basis. And just with the way kind of my life was going, I, you know, and unfortunately the studio where she is, is quite far away. Um, it just, you know, I did it the one time and I, I never went back, but it's certainly something that, you know, I recognize is certainly a, a fantastic coping mechanism for sure. So, um, and ice baths as well. And, and there's a lot of little mini, you know, hacks out there on the, on the internet and, whatnot where you can just dip your face or you can take ice cubes and rub them on your face and a lot of things cold showers you know um there is there's yeah. definitely there's definitely there's definitely healing power in cold water for sure and in breathing um mm -hmm. for sure yeah mm -hmm. i actually saw it's funny that like you mentioned the the cold bath because i was online last night and saw a woman and the way that she had put her video together, she said, I'm going to do like my cold plunge. She had like her tub ready <clears throat> and she's doing like these like very um, like deliberate types of like breathing and like moving her arms in a certain way. And I was like, what is this woman doing? And then she started explaining uh, the whole process, like why breathing is so important. <clears throat> and she filmed her whole thing, like getting in the tub she like you were explaining she was like sobbing uncontrollably and then she started to explain like what she's releasing her personal trauma and you're just like oh my god <laughs> like, it, it, i realized how powerful it is and like, a couple years ago people were like yeah i take a cold shower it helps to like like reset like reset mm -hmm. you so now like i'll take a warm shower and then just turn it on cold before i get out and yeah yep. like it does we actually did the polar bear dip new year's day I, yeah yeah, new year's yeah. Day. Yeah. But again, not intentionally trying to release anything, but like even walking out, we're like, oh yeah, like it feels yeah, good. Like refreshing, <laughs> like yeah. Really physically. Yeah. Yeah. So to see like there definitely there definitely is a lot of power in this. So I think when you go in um intentionally and and uh like with with like the right mindset, right? Like as as you did you're like you like you had a whole experience and i'm sorry to hear about your father um, <laughs> sounds like you man yeah um, he, but he was awesome yeah. yeah did can i ask if he passed um prior to you um um like acknowledging that you needed help or was it like during this whole process no he had passed well he like he had passed away like quite early in my ambulance career um, you know, he never even got to, you know, to, to see my daughter or do any of those awesome things, you know, um, that we yeah. wish that we wish he was around for. He just, you know, um, 
Well, he's just, he was, you know, he was a police officer and that's originally what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a police officer like my dad and my dad was actually like, you know, there's no way that you're becoming a police officer. It's, it's not for you do something else. So I was like, all right, well then I'm going to get my helicopter license and I'm going to fly for the police or I'll fly for the ambulance. That was kind of how that all happened. So um, he was really proud when I, when I got my license and I actually got to do a couple of, uh, couple of tours with the with the police um and then i got uh then i got on with uh with the ambulance so um yeah he was he was he was really proud so yeah. oh that's pretty special that's pretty, you like got that like, about the... <laughs> i actually have my dad that's my dad's badge number people ask that all the time 6473 that that was my dad's badge tattooed oh i can't, I can't... tattooed on my knuckles yeah oh oh cool yeah. i love <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was gonna ask, like, you've told us, like, some I think some pretty incredible things, um, about like the struggles that you faced. But like, what do you think was the biggest obstacle that you faced, and how did you try and overcome that? Or have you experienced it yet? Have you overcome? It? Like, what was your what has been so far your biggest obstacle in your journey? Um, I honestly think we kind of touched on it already. I mean, um, I mean, making that initial, you know, to, to actually, you know, come out and say, you know, that I need help is certainly one of them. Um, but to come back again, to say, you know, now that I'm not flying and there's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, well, you're not really in a, you know, quote unquote traumatic role anymore. You're not flying. You're not seeing the patient's. Um, to come back the second time has actually been much harder because the assumption is, is that, you know, well, you know, you're not really, you're not really doing anything that is like, like causing this, like, what is it type of thing? But it's, it really is, you know, it's trauma by association for lack of, you know, it's like, it's just, just being around it. It's like seeing the helicopters, the smell of the, you know, the turbine fuel, it's like the smell of hospitals, um you know being in elevators and like remembering what it was like and and all these sort of things have just has brought back this like wave of of emotion right that it's uncontrollable and it's it's uh, uh, the obstacle the hardest obstacle is just you know i talked to other people that in a kind of a men's group and i'd said that you know it's difficult saying that you're, you know, you're sick. And one of the gentlemen was like, well, you know, we're not really sick, you know, we're just not right. And I'm like, this is the, this is the problem with mental health. You're sick. You are, it is an illness and you need treatment. You need to get treated for it. The problem is, is that you, you, there's no way of knowing that someone is suffering from it. You can't, you can't tell you're not wearing a cast or a neck brace or anything else. There's not a definitive amount of time in six weeks, the cast will come off and you will be better. It could be two weeks, could be six months, could be six years, could be 20 years. We talked about it before. It's just everybody deals with things in their life in different ways. And I think it depends on, you know, how severe the cracks in your foundation are and how much trauma has gotten in there. And how long it's going to take you to remove that. And every individual is different. And as we talk about coping mechanisms and different things, you know, ice baths and breathing aren't necessarily going to work for one person, but medication and, and therapy might, or just talking to somebody might be enough of a reset 
So I think it's important not to kind of just pigeonhole and say, you know, this is what you need to do if you have PTSD or mental health. And I think that you need to go to a very, like a variety rather of like therapists to, to get a fit because I've, I've gone to several and some are way better at dealing with you as an individual and your personal trauma as well. They just, uh, you know, people are better suited at pulling that, that out of you than others. And it's important not to just kind of say, yeah, I'm in therapy and you've been doing therapy for 20 years and I have the same therapist, but you're really not making any headway. It's, you know, you're really not getting to the root of it because therapy shouldn't, in my opinion, shouldn't be easy, right? If you're going to therapy and you're not, you know, exposing yourself and, you know, you're not taking advantage and being, um, you know, emotionally available and being vulnerable. Um, again, these are all the hard things. These are, these are really hard. It's really hard to be, you know, as a man, it's really hard to tell other men that, you know, I'm hurting, you know, I could use a hug, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, and again, there's another thing I always say in my post that hugs are free because I've found that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of power in a hug for sure. Right. It's just, there's a lot of, you know, um, just letting people know that, you know, they're not the only one. And, um, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And as we say in the, you know, in the planting industry, you know, storms don't last forever. So you just have to be able to weather the storm. Um, mm -hmm. so, but that is, those are hurdles. Those are difficult to, um, you know, to really, you know, to get a hold of and to, and to work through and, you know, it, it, every individual, you know, you might have to check yourself into, you know, a, like a, a, you know, mental health, PTSD, um, you know, therapy clinic, even, you know, I was fortunate enough. I mean, I was close to doing that, but I didn't. Um, but I know people that have, and they've just found it like it is just, it's like a game changer for them. So, um, yeah, I think it's really the biggest hurdle is just, just recognizing in yourself that you're not okay, you know, and, and being and willing to, you know, to be vulnerable and do something about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like put yourself first and like acknowledge that, yeah, you are unwell, like, and you do like you wouldn't just like have a broken leg and continue to walk around so if you get up every morning and you're like struggling like you said like you're getting into work and like the smells and the sights and and like the littlest things and I don't mean to dismiss the littlest things but I mean like you know the smell of coffee might be normal for everyone but for someone else that could be a huge trigger right where it's yeah. just like common things can be such huge triggers for some people depending on the situation yeah. like that starts to happen you need to realize like that's not okay it's not okay for you to continue struggling like that you shouldn't have to yeah. continue struggling for sure i would agree and there's like like you know going back to smells like there's this, the smell of burnt flesh i mean we've carried burnt patients before in the yeah. ambulance and i tell you that there are certain things that smell like burnt flesh and i will never ever forget those calls and it, that brings me back like that if i smell something it's it is and it like it you know it would stay in your in the fabric of your of your flight suit like oh. it's, it's yeah 
And I just, it's one of those things. It's, you know, it never bothered me before it, it, you know, it never did like none of these things bothered me before. And I think that's the, I guess not to keep on going on about it, but it's, that's the other thing. It's like, I used to be able to do this before. Why can't I do it now? And mm. having that own like battle with yourself, like just, you know, all right, stare yourself in the mirror, say, all right, pull yourself together here, chops. Like we got this in the bag. <laughs> Your chops for God's mm -hmm. sakes, you know, like, let's go. <laughs> it's game day, baby. Let's do this. And not being, and not being able to do it is it's hard, right? It's hard um, for a man to admit that, that he is not the alpha dog. It's, you know, that is really difficult, really mm -hmm. difficult, especially when you're dealing like with the type of people that we deal with. I mean, it is, you know, you know, our, our industry is filled with alpha dogs. That's all it is. I mean, you're a certain breed to get into this, you know, to begin with. So, um, you know, dealing with that and, and not admitting that, you know, you're not the top dog and you're ready to do this is, is, is hard. It's hard for sure. Yeah. And I don't think it makes you like any less of a man to like ask for help. I don't think it makes anybody weak to ask for help. I think that's like, I keep using the word brave. Like, I think it takes a really strong person to admit that, like, I can't just give myself a pep talk every morning. It's not working. <laughs> working anymore. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. We're, be we're beyond pep talks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, like, what's something that like you wish people knew about like men's mental health specifically and like PTSD? <clears throat> Uh, specifically to men, um, I think that, you know, women do a much better, better job at, you know, having those, um, you know, those, those little talking circles for lack of a better term, right. And where, you know, you're constantly kind of checking on one another and you're not just talking about just the day's events. You're, you're more willing to, uh, you know, expose yourself and you're kind of like your most embarrassing moments and your weakest moments, you know, when, when things happen, you know, um, traumatic events in your life, you tend to rally around each other way better than what men do. Men tend to, you know, just, you know, be all right, buddy, let's have a mm -hmm. beer and, you know, we'll figure it out, you know, but um, you don't figure it out. Mm -hmm. you know, there's actually no, there's actually no conversation at all about, you know, dealing with what the issue is at all. Um, we're very bad at that as men, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> we're getting better because there are groups, there are men's groups out there that are specific to mental health. They're, you know, again, it's like a safe space. Um, they're very, they're, you know, some of them are very much like going to any other um, organize, like organization, like, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, where you go and you say who you are and you, would, you know, you admit to the group that you have an issue, right? You identify to everybody else. You're exposing that, hey, you know, I'm chops and I'm dealing with mental health and I'm sick, you know, mm -hmm. there's, that's a big step, you know, that I think that women have really no issue with doing at all. Like, that's just like, you know. We're checking in. We're doing that 100%. I do that tomorrow. It's not expected of men to do it, so they just don't do it. And like I said earlier, it's like everything else when it comes to our health, not even only mental health. It's like, you know, if I don't think about it, if I, you know, just ignore it, it'll go away. Well, it's not. It, you know, it's going to get worse. And you're actually like a volcano and you're basically going to erupt in the worst way. 
And that's exactly what happened to me. Like it, it got to the point where I just exploded and I had a total absolute like mental, you know, breakdown. And it was like the lowest of the low. So, um, you know, if men need to know um, that it's okay to go again, to seek help, um, to confide in someone, to have someone listen, to talk about it, um, to go get treatment. There's no shame in getting treated for it. It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a better brother. It's going to make you a better son. It's going to make you a better father. It's going to make you a better husband. You know, the list goes on. Um, you know, if you can't, if you've got nothing else um, to give because you're filled with all this trauma, you're not going to be the best version of yourself, right? For your job or for anybody else. So you have to recognize that. Um, and that's probably one of the first things that, you know, therapy taught me is that you have to be selfish in this. You have to not worry about, you know, the closest of people, if they're going to leave, they're going to leave. And you have to allow that because you have to take care of yourself. Um, and just, yeah. yeah, just, just be open to the process. If you're open to the process, you'll be open to the healing and you'll eventually get better. Mm -hmm. so much comes in for you and you're just like open to like you said yeah. the, like the cold bath you're like oh okay whatever sure get in mm -hmm. and then like boom yeah right? <clears throat> yeah absolutely absolutely um so you've mentioned like a couple things that you do that like helps you like you go to therapy and you take medication um you go to the gym or like you felt like a, a strict physical routine but is there like is there like something specific or like specific moment or like a piece of advice or whatever that really helped you transform the most on your journey or that has like really helps to carry you through um honestly it's just being open to to just about everything not being closed to any you know sort of therapy you know spiritual meditation anything because you never know what's actually going to be beneficial to you so i was never like into yoga i was never into meditation i was never into doing breathing techniques i was never into um you know uh manifestation and not, you know i wasn't uh you know a spiritual person by any stretch of the imagination i think being open is very very key and, you know, trying to educate yourself in different techniques. And like I said, find people around you that you feel comfortable with and find therapy that you feel comfortable with. Don't necessarily be forced on medication. Don't make that because, again, for me, I find that, you know, medication and therapy kind of do go hand in hand. But I find that in our, the world we live in, it's just like it's medication, medication, medication and just take this mm -hmm. and you'll, you'll feel great. And medication comes in different forms, right? So medication is not just a pill that is pres prescribed by your doctor. Medication comes in the form of alcohol. It also comes in the form of marijuana products. Though that, that is all medication. It's all medicine, right? It all takes away the pain momentarily. It is a Band-Aid. You need to find yourself something um better that it's going to actually remove the trauma and not mask the trauma so mm -hmm. um i definitely masked my trauma with self-medicating for sure 
it's one of the ways I have no qualms about saying that, you know, I would, you know, drink basically till I passed out in the early days. I have a scar on my foot to prove that. Um, mm. And um, that's the way I used to cope with it. And mm. it was great. You know, you would go four days, you would, you know, self-medicate and you'd do your thing. And then it was a cycle. And um, it's very easy to get into self-medication. So mm -hmm. um, I would avoid that at all costs. Yeah, that was honestly the one thing like on my journey when I found that I was like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, go home from work tonight and I'm going to grab a bottle of wine and like drink it while I'm cooking dinner. And then like I'd finish it off. I'm like, oh, I like finish <laughs> off a bottle of a good buzz. I'm going to go to bed or like, yeah, edibles or like whatever. And I like very quickly became aware like, okay, I'm self-medicating. And if I'm feeling a certain way, I'm not going to drink. Yeah. I'm not like I'm going to make sure I'm not doing this <clears throat> to the point where like now I'm very, like I don't even really drink anymore. And I'm very aware now of how how normalized like alcohol is in our society mm -hmm. and how much we use it to self-medicate and we don't we don't even know like yeah. we don't even yeah. it's it's kind of wild to me yeah it really is you know I think it's the, the you know I'm probably going to get some flack from somebody listening to this but I think it's the biggest <laughs> prescription medication out there I mean you know the, the government um yeah. certainly this government pushes alcohol like it's you know they make it so convenient i mean now it's going to be well, in your grocery oh, yeah uh, you know now it's in your now it's in your grocery store it's going to be you know we're, <laughs> how, how how more convenient can we make it we'll put it in uh you know we're going to put beer in you know dispensing machines so it's 24 hours seven days a week and you know so you can cope with your day and whatever and you know, it's the easiest thing to get your hands on. I mean, you don't even have to be of age to get alcohol, right? It's and it starts very early. We're actually, you know, we're introduced to it. You know, I I don't know how you guys grew up, but I mean, my parents, you know, it's the first thing, you know, when we're 15, 16, you know, you want to have a beer, here you go. When you when I look back on that, I'm like, it's kind of crazy, you know, because it's like, it's really it's a it's a drug, really, it's, you know, it's a numbing drug. And that's what it does, you know, and you get to the point where, you know, you can't fall asleep without being intoxicated mm. because you don't want to, you don't want to have, you're basically passing out, right? You're, you're kind of controlling yeah. passing out is really what it is. And so you need to be medicated to that. So you fall asleep because if you don't have that, then you're just kept up by the horrible thoughts in your head. That's when you yeah. really know that, you know, Hey, we need to do something about this. This ain't right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's not it's it's not just a winding down having a couple of cocktails after work you know yeah no, <laughs> no. yeah no that's exactly what it is like I need to feel a certain way so then I can just check it pass out. out yeah, yeah check out yeah check out exactly yep that's it <laughs> oh it's been like such a great conversation and I want to thank you for your vulnerability and for sharing your story with us and our listeners um, but is there one last piece of advice that you want to leave our audience with? Uh, I'm just going to repeat myself because I think it's the most important. Um, and it's just talk. Honestly, talk, 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 talk is therapy. Um, just, you know, make the, make the, make a baby step if you have to. And, um, you know, find somebody in your, in your circle that you can talk to, um, and just make that first step and, 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 and talk about it and don't hold it in. 
Um, cause holding it in, um, in my experience has, uh, you know, led me to where I am and I don't wish this really upon anybody. I really don't. So I, again, I think it, uh, since this is, this is going to air for Bell, Bell's talk, um, about mental health, I think that's a, it's a, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's bang on. It really is, you know, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if just want to reach you where can they reach you so right now the only thing i really got going on is just my instagram page which is still the s chops uh people can reach out there they can follow me if they they like they can follow my posts and then they certainly can dm me um i've had other people in the past um you know dm me and i've i've met up with them and talked to them about family members and themselves about you know traumas that they're going through and and whatnot and i'm happy to um to listen and you know again you know as i mentioned you know you need to talk to someone i'm definitely here to talk whether it's just through text if you just want to you know talk to someone i'm 100 here to do to do that so um i think it's important for sure that's very kind yes thank you for that yeah thank you so much it's been amazing um yeah hopefully i'll get to chat soon yeah, yeah absolutely and I, thank you so much for having me again i appreciate it like i said I, I really do appreciate any any opportunity to talk about mental health and certainly ptsd and men's mental health so i, I thank you both so very much for inviting me on well, the pleasure is ours thank you thank you That's it for our show today. Thanks for joining. Remember, you can always reach out to us on our socials, on Instagram at sisterhood underscore of underscore healing, or on TikTok at sisterhood of healing. We love to hear from you, so please reach out to us at any time. Thank you for journeying with us today. We'll see you next time.